Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Lots is going on in Alderville. The council has made numerous land purchases over the past year as the reserve expands its boundaries. Economic development continues. There is a band council election coming up later this year. Chief Dave Mowat will bring us up to date on all this and more. Have a listen. I'm so pleased to have with me today Chief Dave Mowat of the Alderville First Nations. Welcome to Consider This. Good to be here, Rob. Thanks a lot. Happy New Year, Dave. Yeah, Happy New Year to you. I hope all uh, everything's working out so, so far and, uh, and 2023 is a good productive year for you. And the same to you. I'm curious, just as a cultural note, is there such a thing as an Indigenous calendar, and could you maybe shed some light on, on what that is? Um, well, being a heavily uh, influenced community uh, via Methodism and Christianity for a number of generations, uh, we obviously follow the, uh, the uh, standard calendar, but um, culturally, there's actually th- 13 moons in the uh, Anishinaabeg uh, calendar, and uh, those 13 moons uh, are reflective of the 13 platelets on the back of the turtle. Um, if you count the platelets on the back of a turtle's back, it'll be 13, and um, and that's uh, in reference to Turtle Island, and, uh, and that's just a general sort of... Uh, cultural sort of uh, piece of information you might want to take to heart 13 moons that's fascinating and and are they are the moons individually named do they have individual significance each one yes they are individually named um, of course depending on the region you live in um, they are individually named so here um, they reference the uh, the various um, times of each month and what each month would signify i mean you know for instance when the sap runs um that's going to be one particular month that's named or one moon that's named um when the ice is freezing and etc um so it's sort of a a geographic weather-based sort of a calendar if you will what what were some of the big moments of 2022 um, well, I would say uh, that um, our pursuit of additional lands is um, an ongoing um, sort of a, excuse me, it's an ongoing uh, uh, sort of a journey that we're on is purchasing more land and uh, adding it through the to the reserve through the additions to reserve process, which is a process that is inherent within the um, Department of Indigenous Services Canada. 
formerly the Department of Indian Affairs. And so uh, we um, we were able to secure a sizable portion of land up north of Buckhorn, um, 575 acres of eco- ecological land, uh, beautiful land. And uh, and, the, and then also the other parcels that we've purchased are within, uh, are actually adjacent to, to Alderville, physically adjacent to Alderville. Um, we started the purchasing more land when I got elected in 2019. That was one of my objectives was to, uh, to, um, to purchase more land and to increase the land base of Alderville First Nation because it's been relatively static for it for generations <clears throat> and um so i guess now in my time um we've purchased just a little over 800 acres of land and that includes the 575 up north so um it's uh as you might know it's uh it's quite a task searching out land and 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 going through that whole purchase process but uh, uh, we just actually wrapped up a deal just before the holiday uh, for 21 acres that are uh, immediately adjacent to the reserve, so that's been the big. That's been the, the big objective is is uh, searching out land, looking for land, something that's um, could be beneficial to the First Nation, um, be it for housing, um, be it for environmental purposes, harvesting. You name it. It's sort of an exciting uh, part of the job is uh, is looking for new land, and of course, uh, you might remember that uh, in 2018 we um, uh, signed off on the Williams Treaty Settlement Agreement, and in that agreement there were 11,000 acres per First Nation, a total of 77,000 acres that was uh, provided for in the settlement that um, uh, is. Uh, deemed a legal land entitlement and so we uh, unlike a treaty land entitlement and so we have to purchase the, whatever lands we, we seek out we have to purchase it at market price um, but um, we've been successful so far um, and we're going to keep pursuing that so that's been one big piece I, could sh- I should say on the other side of that equation is, um, is the losses that we've uh, we've had in the community um, members that have passed on and that's always um, difficult to deal with in the community um, so I I just want to honor those people that that have uh, have moved on and are uh, are no longer with us physically um, and then of course we have all of our own internal matters that we have to deal with just like any other um, local government. We have uh, our internal staffing uh, challenges and um, infrastructure challenges. We have a, a water project that we're working on as we speak. Um, so there, there's lots going on, um, a lot of moving parts, and um, it's an ongoing day-to-day challenge to keep everything uh, moving forward. If I could just go back for a second and, and ask about the uh, land acquisitions, um, do you have a, an overarching plan? How much lands are you hoping to uh, secure over what period of time uh, to what level of expansion? Yeah, so um, as you might know, uh, like immediately within the immediate proximity to Alderville, 
it's not easy to buy land uh, of sizable portions. And of course, uh, a lot of the land has been held by uh, farming families for, for a long time. Um, so it's not easy to buy sizable portions. Uh, when I say a sizable portion, uh, I would say 100 acres plus in close proximity to the reserve. Um, that's, that's, that's a challenge. Um, ideally, it would be good to, uh, when we do seek out and purchase land, ideally it would be, it would be beneficial to purchase as much uh, as we could, as close to the reserve as possible. Uh, but again, that that's a challenge. Um, <clears throat> in the grand scheme, 11,000 acres is a fair chunk of, of land. And so even in the agreement in 2018, um, the understanding was that if it took 20 to 30 years to assemble, um, you know, 11,000 additional acres, then so be it. Because again... So for, for Alderville, you you hope to get a, a, an additional 11,000 acres? Exactly. Okay. And uh, it'll probably never happen in my time, but uh, uh, you can imagine how long it might take. Um, again, the thought and the understanding amongst uh, the negotiators and the government uh, at the time of 2018 when the settlement was was negotiated and was that if it took 20 to 30 years, so be it, because, you know, uh, again, uh, everybody knows where we're situated. He's First Nation in uh amongst the Williams Treaties First Nations, you know, Curve Lake, Hiawatha, Scugog, uh, Alderville, and then the, the Chippewa communities. Um, a lot of agricultural land around each First Nation community for the most part. And um, and it's not easy to secure large swaths of land around sure. each First Nation community. And so it's a slow process and it's going to be slow for each First Nation community. I'd like you to elaborate a little bit too on the water project. Can you can you provide some details as to what exactly it is you're trying to do? Yeah, um, we uh, our former capital assets manager tapped funding through uh, the department, um, and um, we have internal uh, funding available as well. the The idea was originally to create a communal well uh, in the event of power outages and um, to help secure a potable water source within the community. And so that project has morphed um, just because of a a few variabilities. Um, It's morphed into now a communal well project situated in one of our subdivisions. The one subdivision that we built in 2010 called Wawashkeshi Mikens. And um, what it will do is it'll create the same communal well supply and it'll also service the entire subdivision. So there's 22 lots in that particular subdivision. And uh, and so that's how we've finally came to the resolution that we're going to build it at, on Wawashkeshi. It'll be, on the one hand, it'll be a communal well supply in the event of power outages and it'll also service the entire uh, subdivision. <clears throat> because of the nature in which Alderville is uh, physically laid out, we'll never ever see a sort of uh, like municipal level style of, of water 
servicing take place in Alderville just simply because of the physical layout of the community. We're probably eight kilometers from one end of the community to the other, but in between those East Reserve and the West Reserve and the Main Reserve and then Vimy Ridge, we do have uh, gaps of, uh, say, farmland or or, or patent land or non-reserve land. And so it would be almost physically impossible to service the entire community with one fell swoop, if you will. So we might have to, you know, go at this piecemeal. I know economic development is a key feature of Alderville Council's work. And I'm wondering if you could just bring us up to date over the past year as to what's been taking place. In- well, uh, actually, I should say we just recently hired a, a new economic development officer. Um, the position was vacant for, a, for a sh- not too long, but for a while. Our former dev officer moved on into IT. And so um, that opened up a, a vacancy. <clears throat> and um, a former Coburg employee actually is now holding down the seat. Um, and so um, we uh, are looking to pursuing some opportunities in 2023 that will uh, open up, um, um, you know, internal opportunities for the new ECDEV officer. As you know, um, it's quite busy on the Highway 45, but um, the one thing about the business on the 45 is that they are all privately owned by Alderville band members. And so we don't control what's occurring on the 45. We do have um, authority over the hours that have been set. Uh, or, or, you know, in the case of COVID, we had to, um, we had to, um, you know, come down with some restrictions in the, in the wake of the global pandemic. But by and large, uh, what's occurring on the 45 is, is by private band members. We are looking at an opportunity on the 45, however, that could um, see the light of day in 2023. And, uh, I'll just keep that under my hat at the moment, but um, we're looking at it as a potential exciting um, opportunity. Um, um, And, you know, again, um, on the cannabis front, I'll just be blunt and on the cannabis front, again, it's it's, uh, private band members that are holding down those businesses. Um, And something that we really don't have too much uh, involvement with. Uh, We should have had more involvement with that had the federal and the provincial governments um, came to the table like they should have uh, in a duty to consult manner. Uh, However, that didn't uh, that didn't happen. Um, Unfortunately, on the part of the federal federal government, they didn't they didn't see the need to come to us and, and, and consult on that that issue like they should have because um, it doesn't matter if it's cannabis or if it's a gas line, it's going to have an impact on the community one way or the other. Um, but be that as it may, um, that market will play out as it, as it will. Um, I suspect that it's not all... Uh, I suspect that it's not all, not all roses. I suspect that the market is is uh, driving um, that and you know creating its own uh, dynamic, just like everywhere else. But um, 
It must be more comp- competitive now. With I mean, at one point, uh, it was they were sole sole providers of cannabis, and now you know I, I think you can't go into any village or town in Northumberland and there isn't uh, a cannabis at least one or more cannabis shops uh, selling. So I, I'm just wondering is is that having are you seeing that having an impact on local businesses? Well, I would think so. Um, I know that when everything got out of the gate in what was it 2017 um we didn't see what we what we're seeing in colberg port hope even camelford i think has three stores and then of course peterborough uh and then if you go beyond um you know uh trenton um port hope and then all the way up to up to 401 so there's got to be having an impact on all of i haven't and we haven't got into that sort of, um, uh, you know, we haven't got into that level of understanding as to how it's actually impacting the local businesses. But I'm, I'm quite sure it must be, because uh, at one time, if you didn't have anything all the way down the 401, people were coming to uh, to Alderville or Tyenanaga which is further on down the 401 uh, eastward. Um, and, but now you have a number of shops, you know, Whitby, Ajax, Oshawa, you name it, Bowmanville, uh, Peterborough, and then surrounding us. So if the government, if the government's uh, idea was to drive, try to drive the market out of Alderville by attrition, um, I don't know if it'll succeed in that. I don't think so, but it, I'm sure it's having some form of an impact. And I know in previous conversations you and I have had, that's been one of your goals of your council is to diversify the uh, economy in Alderville. Can you tell us how that's going and, and are you being successful? Well, um, I, uh, on, on that front, um, because we have, uh, we have a, a community trust, which we created out of our um, portion of our treaty settlement uh, proceeds, um, we have um, the opportunity to invest, for instance, in, in in sort of softer businesses or industries, if you will, and not even necessarily in Alderville. Um, and so we do get uh, a number of uh, opportunities and or a lot of information coming our way regarding potential investments um, on that sort of side of the equation. Physically and within Alderville First Nation itself, um, I I would say that we've always been, we've always stood behind our local entrepreneurs to help drive the local economy, and that's not changing. There's always been a strong local entrepreneurship spirit here in the community. And, and that, that that continues to thrive. Um, and so I guess finding the balance between that and, and what we can invest in um, uh, is, you know, is the real challenge. On the other hand, land-wise, um, Alderville is probably covered by 80% of certificate of possession, which is as close to one... Can, is as close to how one can hold land privately on the reserve. It's under the certificate of possession process, and um, and so that means we don't control those lands, uh, the First Nation, and so we don't have sizable portions of land to say 
invite in a manufacturing company, for instance, uh, just as an example. Um, so we have to be really, we have to be really uh, choosy, I guess, for lack of a better word, as to what we wish to entertain, simply because of our land base on the one hand. And then we have another sizable piece of land that is managed and and, uh, and is solely dedicated to the Black Oaks of Tallgrass Prairie. And that is uh, something that sort of goes uh, along sight unseen, if you will. Um, but the work that's going on there is, is hugely important to biodiversity. Uh, it's not what I would call a huge economic development driver, but it does secure substantial funding internally um, on the climate change front, on the species at risk front, uh, on the biodiversity front. So it's quite a, it's quite a challenge. Uh, at the end of the day, quite a challenge, uh, you know, um, manning all of those different fronts to, uh, to secure um, what I hope uh, continues to be a good standard of living for everybody here. There's been a lot... Um recently about uh, things going on within the green belt. And I know that the green belt doesn't impact uh, Alderville directly, but I know that, uh, that you at, in Alderville take the uh, management and conservation of lands uh, very seriously. I wonder what was your response when you saw things unfolding uh, the last few months in regards to the uh, opening up of Greenbelt lands for development? Well, I was uh, hugely disappointed in, uh, in what the government uh, laid down and and it wasn't something that just came out of thin air i mean this was at the back of as far as i know doug ford's mind when he got elected uh i think it's a bad decision i think that minister pacini uh is uh um one that help needs to be held accountable for that bad decision as well uh i did correspond to him and his answer was you know, of course, it was a uh, <clears throat> a government answer, uh, the kind of an answer that you would expect. But to put it the best way, um, to pick away at the green belt the way it has been, uh, a local uh, biologist and uh, somebody that uh, that I look to for ecological uh, information, and and uh, I'm always picking his brain about this or that ecologically biologically etc he said uh he said it best he said uh a little a a little trim around the edges insults my intelligence Uh, which is to say that picking a little piece away here and a little piece away there insults my intelligence and it insults his intelligence um and uh i think it was just a poor decision i think that that there was not a, a enough thought given out given to um, where housing should actually take place. You know, who is this housing going to benefit? That's my question is, who is it going to really, who is it going to benefit? Is it going to benefit the the struggling young single or young family uh, that, um, you know, can barely make ends meet and and, uh, are not going to have opportunity to to purchase, even own a home? Um, I don't know that but uh, i doubt it i highly doubt it i think that this government really doesn't think in those terms 
I think that the developers are in their pockets and they're in the pockets of the developers. And I think it's a sad day for Ontario when the green belt gets picked away uh, like it is being picked away at. The government can justify it all it wants. It should have left its hands off of it. And it does cross treaty land, Mississauga treaty land. So this, uh, this, uh, this comment period that came and went, that doesn't apply to the First Nations. We can keep picking away at this and keep uh, 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 throwing our information at the government and, and uh, in my view, harassing the government all we want uh, because it should be harassed for what it's done. I think it's a sad day for Ontario, definitely Southern Ontario. And not only that, Rob, but this whole Omnibus Bill 23 and what it entails is not just about housing. It's about dissecting and overturning the entire land use planning regime and, uh, you know, using the, the course of power of the law to make it the law. And I think it's a sad day. Do any of those legislative changes have an impact on Alderville and its ability to do what it wants to do? It, it doesn't have any effect on Alderville. Um, but again, um, you know, it, it could have, I suppose, like we, we are landowners. We're tax-paying landowners as well, which I think a lot of people don't think about sometimes. We pay our... We pay our taxes to uh, how many municipalities now? Two or three municipalities, um, and so it, in that in that way, should we ever have to go through any land use planning uh, for our off-reserve properties, then it could have an effect. But uh, in Alderville, uh, directly, no, no, it doesn't. I should also say that what we did and what we accomplished at the Black Oak Savannah Tallgrass Prairie, we predate the Oak Ridges Moraine Conservation Plan. Uh, we predate that. Uh, we got out of the blocks before that uh, became law. And, and so we're leaders uh, in the regional biodiversity and uh, management um, fields uh, of uh, grassland and, and Black Oak Savannah Tallgrass Prairie. And uh, so, you know, it would be like us. It would be like us in Alderville saying, we're going to run a road up the middle of the Black Oak Span and, and build housing because, uh, you know, we're have, we have a housing shortage. That would be insanity. And it would leave uh, a huge detrimental legacy. And it would be short-sighted. So, you know, we, we could be a microcosm of what the government just did. Uh, but we would never think of that. Because again, that would be short-sighted, uh, and and it's not necessary. It's not necessary for us to to undermine our biodiversity and our pristine ecology for the sake of non-profit housing. In Alderville, it would be non-profit housing. Uh, that is that that argument's not even on. That doesn't even hold water. So the way we have to do it in Alderville is to look away from those pristine sites and look to other areas that. Uh, will not compromise our ecology and our, and, and our ecological integrity. The Pope's visit was a significant event for some this past year, and we spoke at that time. And now that some time has passed, have you had any further reflections on the visit? 
I really haven't. Uh, again, we're not a Catholic community, so we don't share that sort of common bond with other Catholic First Nations even, uh, not to mention just Catholics in general. Um, <clears throat> I mean, there's Catholic members, but I wouldn't know who they are. I know, you know, I know a handful, but generally, no, it, it really didn't resonate. It's, you know, kind of strange. It didn't really resonate much in Alderville's First Nation at all. Um, <clears throat> again, we're just not of that tradition. Uh, the United Church of Canada had already come down with its apology a long time ago. And so uh, I guess for some of us, we looked at the Catholic Church and said, you know, what took you so long? Uh, what's taking you so long? Um, but really, no, it, it, it hasn't really, uh, it hasn't had any long-term sort of rippling effect is really to be, to be very truthful. Recently in Ottawa, the Assembly of First Nations held a special chiefs meeting. Um, and you publicly said on social media that uh, you were not going. And um, I, I'm curious as to why you decided not to go. And I don't think in our conversations this is the first time you've uh, mentioned your, uh, I wouldn't say opposition, but maybe a disdain for the Assembly of First Nations. Can you help us understand what's going on? So uh, in this age of the virtual uh, meetings, I... Uh, I did have, and I always have access to go go into these meetings virtually. <clears throat> um, and so, when the Assembly of First Nations met in Vancouver uh, in the summer, I was on virtually. I did not wish to travel to Vancouver. I did not wish to expend that kind of money to get there uh, when I could actually go on virtually. So that's the one benefit. I did go on virtually one day for the Ottawa Special Chiefs Assembly. Uh, uh, but I chose not to travel there again because of the infighting that has been occurring uh, because of what occurred with the national chief. Um, it, uh, in my view, has been taking the focus off of what the work, what work needs to be done. And, uh, you know, when this spilled out into the media, when this spilled out into the public, uh, to me, it made me cringe because uh, this is the last thing the government and or the public needs to see is that there's things happening at the AFN level that makes it look like it's, it can't work together to make it look like it it can't meet its objectives, etc. So it's frustrating for me as a local leader um, who has to deal with issues locally and head on and immediately uh, to get uh, a resolution one way or the other and then the national organization <clears throat> can't seem to pull its act together um, to run seamlessly for the benefit of First Nations. So that's a real frustration for me. These large, wieldy, unwieldy almost organizations sometimes um, are are real are a real frustration. And of course, you know, the government. The government of Canada, can you imagine trying to hold down the government of Canada? So, you know, it's not like it's, it's not like the AFN is the only example. But um, it, um, you know, it has its uh, it has its uh, important elements for us, of course, undoubtedly. Uh, but it's sort of hands off. It's sort of uh, 
it's sort of arm's length to the point where it doesn't affect us day to day. In fact, I, uh, I'm more attuned to the Chiefs of Ontario than I am the Assembly of First Nations. The Chiefs of Ontario, the, uh, the Ontario Regional Chief, by virtue of that role, is on the executive of the AFN. So we always have a, a conduit to the AFN, and that's through the Chiefs of Ontario and through the Ontario Regional Chief, Glenn Hare. Um, so it's not like we're not, it's not like we're isolated or, or alienated or not in the know per se. So I just choose, and in the age of the pandemic, I've chosen not to travel a great deal. I travel very little anymore. Um, I know the virtual sort of meetings can get uh, a little uh, difficult sometimes to handle, but um, it's revolutionized travel budgets that's for sure and um and so i uh i i tend to stay close stay local stay in alderville and uh and go on virtually but uh, the afn um again it does good work it does important work but it needs to get its house in order um um because um i i don't have time i don't have time for that You've alluded to it several times, and and I just, for the listeners who may not understand all of what uh, you are alluding to, um, the First uh, Nations, uh, the Assembly of First Nations chief is, her name is Roseanne Archibald, and she is in the process of suing the AFN um, over what she believes is alleging is corruption, and that's driven a lot of conflict and, and, uh, um, um, tension in the in the leadership. Am I correct in that? Yeah, she's uh, claimed uh, corruption. Uh, I was uh, she was a former Ontario Regional Chief, of course. Uh, she was the head of the Chiefs of Ontario, so I was in a number of meetings with her before she became the uh, <clears throat> the National Chief. Are uh, the meetings that I was in with her? Um, as Ontario Regional Chief were related to the vac- vaccination, actually. And she was quite um, um, proactive and, and um, she certainly helped me in Alderville uh, on that front. Um, when she became the first female National Chief, uh, I was involved in the voting and I was online for hours, um, you know, uh, playing a role in that and it was quite a fascinating race uh, and it was um, it was amazing how what happened um, but she certainly um, she certainly tried to pull some of the layers away and to get down to the the core of what might be um, ailing the, the AFN I'm not so sure that throwing out terms of corruption is beneficial though um, I'm not so sure if that's the right tact she should have used. Uh, I, I saw where there were small contracts given out to people for this or for that. Now, I wouldn't call that corruption. You know, a $21,000 contract to a, to a chief of an Ontario First Nation, certainly to me, doesn't smell like corruption. Uh, his act. Uh, expertise uh, was utilized, uh, called upon by the AFN and 
I won't name his name, but I did see where this one particular chief from Northern Ontario was was brought into the AFN for a uh, a contract, and it was um, you know about twenty one thousand dollars. That's not a big contract. Certainly doesn't look and smell like corruption to me. Um, so I think it's a dangerous word to throw around until you got the facts in front of you. I'd like to move on and ask you about um, the reconciliation process over the past year. How have you seen that process unfold over 2022? Um, it's, it really, uh, it's really comes out. Uh, it's fully adorned on September 30th. Again, uh, we had a walk on September 30th uh, up the Highway 45, and it was very impressive. Uh, if there's, uh, that's about as powerful a statement as you can make um, on on that day. And I know I had people from outside of the community saying, "Well, we should partner next year and and do this or do that." I said, "Nah, no, nah, you can come to Alderville." I think as long as I'm here, we're going to take a walk up to 45 on that day because it makes a powerful statement. And and we have a lot of allies and neighbors that come out and join us. And that's really that's really encouraging on the reconciliation front. It's really encouraging that people take that to heart. Uh, not only like uh, not only in our own community, but again, people from Coburg, Warkworth, Campbellford, you name it. We uh, we have a lot of people that come out and participate with us. So that that's. Um, that's encouraging. Um, on the other fronts, uh, you know, it, it stumbles and it, it struggles and there's challenges. Uh, the municipalities are doing what they can to understand. Uh, you know, the land acknowledgement piece is, is something that's, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not one of the 94 recommendations, land acknowledgements. Uh, they predate the TRC, but, uh, but municipalities take them seriously. And for them, that helps them understand that much more. I actually was able to be at uh, Mayor Bob Crate's uh, inauguration at Trent Hills, and uh, I participated in that with the smudging ceremony. He uh, he requested that, so for me, that was like a hugely uh, uh, a huge advancement in so far as municipal First Nations relations. So there's small steps that are being being taken. Uh, Mayor Ostrander and I in Brighton, we have a good relationship. I was at his inauguration, and uh, and so I see that locally, there are, are, are good efforts being made. I guess um, you know, there's always going to be challenges, there's always going to be um, obstacles, and there's always going to be um, you know resistance uh, in certain pockets. But all you can do is keep moving forward. This year, this past year, excuse me, you had a powwow for the first time in quite a while due to the pandemic. How was that important to your community in 2022? Yeah, it was um, record-breaking crowds on the Saturday. Sundays have always been a little less uh, people come out just generally, Uh, but Saturday was uh, record-breaking. And... uh, well, for me, it was like um, long overdue. Of course, the, the pandemic had, uh, had, had, you know, it did what it did. But uh, it was time people um, were basically starving for a powwow, 
and uh, it was it was uh, it was reflected in the people that came out. Uh, it was just a remarkable day. On the Saturday, it was a remarkable day. Uh, I just can't say enough. The weather, of course, cooperated beautifully for both days. Um, but it was uh, it was something that everybody really needed. It, it, to me, that's what I took away from it. Is it was that people needed that camaraderie and and that opportunity to come out and and, um, and just be together and be together in in that way. Um, um, you know, I just uh, I went away feeling very satisfied that we were able to do that, and um, we look forward to to next year's powwow. And I just can't say enough about our staff and our our public works team who everybody just by sort of inherently takes on their own role and makes it happen and um and it's it's a real it was a real blessing for this for that to have, to have occurred this this summer um again it was uh it was a long haul the last one had been 2019 and then uh and then you know the global pandemic and then here we were uh, last july and um i was really satisfied it was it was a great day a great weekend. You are coming to the end of your elected term in 2023, and I understand that there will be elections held sometime this summer. What are going to be the key issues for the community uh, that will be focused on during this upcoming election? Well, we have a few, uh, um, <clears throat> I should say, call them sectoral self-government um, files that we're working on and one of them is First Nations land management and that's going to come to a ratification vote uh, this spring and uh, what that does is it uh, it sees the First Nation potentially take over the 30 to 40 provisions that are in the Indian Act related to land management and so if that ratification vote is successful then the First Nation itself Aldergo, would take over uh, control and authority over its uh, land management. So that's huge. Um, again, it's uh, it's all rela- it's it's all reliant on a successful ratification vote. And then we also have a a new uh, leadership selection ratification vote that's going to come down this spring as well. And uh, as you might know, we are <clears throat> governed by the Indian Act, and so our electoral regulations are governed by the Indian Act, and we only have two-year mandates. So we're seeking to uh, enter into a custom code uh, election process, <clears throat> whereby we will um, we could uh, see our mandate extended to three years if there's a sex, uh, successful vote, and. Uh, for the most part, there's, it's not like we're revolutionizing the leadership selection process. Um, we're simply taking control over that, um, um, and it's a, still it still has to be tied to the department, and, and you know there's all those principles that still have to be um, tied to to the federal government. But um, um, that could see I could see some major change moving forward. Again, it's all reliant on a successful uh, ratification vote, uh, but I will be seeking another term. Uh, the election will be in July. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Of course, inflation is affecting everybody, Rob. 
And so economically, it's just as important here in Alderville as it is, as it is everywhere uh, for affordability to be um, <clears throat> to be managed, <clears throat> to be, um, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> to be managed and to be, um, um, you know, to make life uh, as easy, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, for people as possible. It's been a struggle uh, for everybody. And um, and so it looks like it's going to continue to be a struggle. So uh, we're as concerned about inflation and the effects of that uh, on our membership um, as everybody else. But also, um, you know, like for us, goods and services, too, uh, we've seen an increase, for instance, in housing. We just dropped in a uh, we craned in a uh, a duplex yesterday on Minnetonka. Um, and you know, I, I sign off on the invoices, and whoa, um, it's it's heavy duty. But the, the costs that uh, we are paying, um, and I can just imagine what the municipality paying, and then when it trickles down to you know either the ratepayers or or our members, people have really struggled in the last year, and so I think affordability is that's the big one for everybody. Um, are you going to be taking steps at all uh, over this upcoming year to help remediate some of those uh, fiscal pressures on people? Well, we have some internal uh, sources. We have some internal financial sources that we can assist people with. Um, and then there's also uh, certain programs that operate, for instance, for homeowners, um, there are certain programs that operate through the uh, CMH, CMHC, who are tied to um, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation. Um, that's a federal program. So we're tied to CMHC and or we're tied to uh, the uh, departmental housing program. And through that, there are certain benefits that homeowners can um can reap for say um, remediation of their homes. Um, you know, there might be there might be certain grant programs that that can assist with homeowners. We're um, we've just currently had a meeting with uh, Habitat for Humanity, and we all are also uh, we've been discussing with them their uh, home renovation program. So, um, under the surface, there's programs that operate. Um, for the benefit of First Nations people that, that can help on on that front, for instance. Um, so, again, um, you know, we always have our radar on. Uh, we're always in tune with what programs and or opportunities there are to assist our membership, just like every other municipal, municipal leader has to be. Chief Dave Mowat. I want to wish you all the best in 2023, and thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks, Rob, and all the best to you in 2023, and it's always a pleasure talking with you. That was Alderville First Nations Chief Dave Mowat. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. 
or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.